if people listening to this hear only one thing today, what do you want them to take away from the show? This is my message to men of advanced age. You do not have to accept mediocrity. You did not peak in high school. And your best years sure as hell are not behind you. Here's the million dollar question. How do men like us reach our full potential, grow into the men we dream of being while taking care of our responsibilities, working, being good husbands, fathers, and still take care of ourselves? Well, that's the big question. In this podcast, we'll help you answer those questions and more. My name is Brent, and welcome to the Fallible Man Podcast. Welcome to the Fallible Man Podcast, your home for all things man, husband, and father. A big shout out to Fallible Nation. You guys make this possible, and a warm welcome to our first-time listeners. My name is Brent, and today my guest is fitness and mindset coach for dads, Eric Kenry. Eric, welcome to the Fallible Man Podcast. Thank you for having me, Brent. Very, very excited to be here. Eric, I'm looking forward to this conversation, but we like to start things on the light end. So how's your trivia? Pretty good. I have a lot of useless knowledge. So useless knowledge, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's, I think it's a dad thing. Like you yeah. Just over time. I love to flex. Love to flex on my son. I'm like, you don't know nothing about this. You know nothing. <laughs> You're seven. You know nothing. Watch this. And he's well, very usually impressed. He's very rarely impressed by me, but he's impressed by that. In our conversation before the show, you you shared that you're a fellow nerdy guy like myself, so you might actually get this one right. What is the most useful die in the game of D&D? Is it a standard D6, a D10, a D20, or a D4? I hate that you asked me this question because despite my vast nerdy knowledge, I am detached from the fantasy world. I never played D&D. I never played any tabletop games. I respect them. But, you know, there's all different types of nerds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what was the last one? D4? Mm-hmm. Uh, D4. All right, guys. You know the rules. Don't cheat. Don't skip ahead. We'll come back to that a little bit later. I had I, a uh, one for my D&D. It couldn't be sci-fi. It couldn't be sci-fi. It had to be fantasy, man. I, I just started playing D&D, actually. This oh, summer. okay. I'm 43 cool. years old. I've never played before. Uh, I started doing board games once a week with some guys from my church, just kind of a guys hangout time. And they're like, well, we used to do a lot more D D and D. It's like, I've, I've never done D and D. Come on, you can try it once. I was like, eh, whatever. Okay. Yeah. I'll give it a try. And my best friend's like, Oh, it's about time you played. Went and bought me like custom dice. She's like, you need your own die. And it's like, these are a lot of dice, man. I, I don't understand this. Yeah, it's it's complex. It, I, I definitely, uh, like I said, I respect it, but I've never got never got into it myself. I'm more of a video game guy. I, I've gone through uh, two campaigns now, and it's like, okay, you know what? Mainly, like, it's a really great game to get to know people. Like, you bond really well with the people you're playing with, and really have better insight like into who they are. Yeah. I was really shocked. I was like this crazy side effect. I was like, totally wasn't expecting. So I think you learn a lot about other people through any kind of board game, whether it's a role-playing game or just Monopoly or light. Sometimes you find out some things about people you maybe didn't want to know, actually, you know, you see the, 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 the bad side of people sometimes. And I, and you know what, the whole thing about D and D and, and nerdy stuff in general, and I'm, I'm big on diatribes. I'm not going to go on one right now, 
but I cannot stand this pushback lately against video games and nerdy stuff in the personal development space where they label these things as wastes of time. As it's holding you back. You cannot succeed if you play video games. Look, there's, there's extreme cases, of course. Too much of anything is bad. But as far as I'm concerned, video games are part of my self-care routine. You know, my wife goes to get facials. Mm -hmm. I play a PS5. Okay, can't, you can't work 24-7. You can't work and work out 24-7 because, frankly, that's unhealthy if you ask me. So, But anyways, I'm glad we have nerdy pursuits that can uh, distract us from our, our work at times. I actually, I broke a cardinal rule. I got an internet fight on Instagram once. Oh, no. Over this very topic. Oh, no. Never engage. I'm, I, you know, I, I usually don't, but this, I made a statement as to like, guys, you need to kind of put the video games aside and get in the real world mm-hmm. and got in this huge fight with this internet troll. I was like, look, you need to read the whole thing for context. Cause obviously you didn't like watch the whole clip and then read the article under it. Are, are you no? I'm not saying video games are bad. I'm saying every guy has to learn what his line is. I lost three years of my life to World of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I actually added up the playtime of all of my tunes on World of Warcraft. Three years of playtime, and during that time, I did nothing for my career. I didn't advance my life. I didn't write. I wasn't doing anything in the real world to make my life better. And so my argument is not that they're bad. It's like anything else. There, there's a moderation. You have to know what becomes a problem for you. And what is still healthy fun, mm-hmm. right? If you exactly. can play casually and have some fun and, and it doesn't interfere with the rest of your life or take away from you progressing, awesome. I I go hard in almost anything I do. Yes. And so I get that addictive personality. And it's like, I, I don't know how to go in a little and have fun. Like I'm <clears throat> so uh that's that's where I draw the line. It's like it's like it's like anything else right too much alcohol is bad for you a little bit right they i mean the research says a, a drink every so often right three times a week or something can actually have healthy effects for you uh you know marijuana can have medicinal qualities qualities too much use really kind of waylay your life right anything yeah. is you can take workouts to extreme too you can right? meditate if you meditate four hours a day, that's a lot of time wasted. If you ask me, there's just, there's a, you know, a certain extent where you got, you are wasting time. It defeats the purpose of what you're doing. It should be restorative, right? Video games are, and for me are restored, just sitting down playing maybe 30 minutes, maybe even an hour. If I get that, I get about two hours of gaming per week and I cherish that time because I was not grateful enough when I didn't have kids and didn't have business back in the day where I could spend hours. I mean, you probably understand hours upon hours upon Mm -hmm. hours of playing these games and just, just unplugging. But you know what? That's what they're talking about. They don't want young men getting into that, into that groove. Although, you know, it never held me back per se at that time in my life, but I could see how it could be detrimental to others. Yeah. Like I let it. So I will be very clear. It didn't hold me back. I let it mm-hmm. keep me from moving forward. There's a huge difference there. You know, the game is not responsible for that. Blizzard is not responsible for yeah. my habit with it. Right. right. That's, I mean, that's, that's everything, right? You know, it's not the food. 
It's not the not the drugs. It's not the alcohol. It's the person. It's the yeah. person that's using them, and you got to take accountability and and uh, change at some point. So, I, I that's a guy. I, I enjoy that little, nice little journey. But you know, before we go too much farther, Ken, I don't. Or sorry, Eric. Eric, I want to call you Ken. <laughs> Close enough, Eric. I don't do huge introductions. So before we go way down the rabbit hole today. For, for the sake of our audience, in your own, own words, today, not, not just a huge, but today, who is Eric Kenry? Eric Kenry is a father, he's a husband, and he is a men's fitness and mindset coach. He's been through a lot, and everything he's been through, he doesn't regret one bit, because it's brought him right here, and it's given him a lot of knowledge that he can pass down. And thankfully he is in a position where he can help others with that knowledge. Okay. If you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? Hmm. That's a good one. I would like to be able to eat whatever I want and still be in great shape. I am a food lover. I love food. Don't get it twisted. Just because I'm a fitness guy doesn't mean I don't love food. I still love food. I don't like junk food anymore. And we'll get into this. I used to be a junk food blogger. I used to be obsessed with it. I don't eat refined sugar anymore. And so what I find myself lusting after is just good quality food, you know, like the juicy burger, some some pizza, not like Domino's, you know, some some New York style, some my favorite Detroit style, uh, things like that, some nachos from a nice Mexican place. That's what I love. And I would just love to be unburdened by the very idea of calorie intake. That would be my dream. I think it says a lot about me that I could be, I could fly, I could have super strength, I could be invulnerable, but no. I want to. I would love to just try be able to try as much food from around the world and America as I can, and not gain a single pound. But you know, that's why we're here talking about balance and and uh, moderation. You know, I I, I got to admit that would be a great superpower because I'm. A- It'd be sick. <laughs> It'd be so fun. I, I I live in a place with amazing Mexican food, and it's like, oh, I really shouldn't eat that whole burrito because it's like that big. Huge. Yeah. But it tastes so good. It's funny because I like ice cream, but I can actually walk away from sweets. But I will do seconds and thirds of like good food. Yeah. I I, ice cream is my favorite food, actually. Although I I have a sinking suspicion I've developed a lactose intolerance in my advanced age. I'm actually waiting for a test to come back. But you know, I don't eat ice cream regularly anyways, but it's one of those things where I love a good graft ice cream, a good high-end ice cream. Mm-hmm. I made, I, I made ice cream a lot. And once again, something else we'll get into, I'm sure. But, um, sweets, savories, it does not matter. I am an omnivore of the highest order. I love everything and anything. There's no food genre that I do not like. I actually found a new ice cream just last night. What's just that? last night what was that uh do you guys have in Pacwa where you live no but i'm familiar with it okay they actually have made a it's called uh traditional lemon square oh i love lemon flavors I love Dude, it. It, was, it was a bite straight out of my childhood i remember going to this bakery with my grandmother getting these you know 
artisan made custom like lemon squares that were just so good when I was a kid. I took one bite, which instantly. Is there up. so? Is there is there any graham cracker in the flavor? Like the crust? yeah, yeah. Oh. It's actually like got it's got the lemon and the topping and oh yeah. See, it's got I, bar. I cannot stand when when companies will make ice cream flavors and they'll just leave out a very important element. Like people make pumpkin pie ice creams with no graham cracker crust. I'm like, what? What are you doing? That's it's just going to taste like pumpkin. It's not going to taste like pumpkin pie. So I'm glad they. You got to have all the layers, all yeah. the elements included to get that lemon bar flavor. I, I got it. My mom lives with us uh, since my dad passed, and I was like, oh, mom, you got you got to try this. And she took one bite and it was just like. Oh. Like you can just see it in that pure pleasure. Nailed it. Yes. Yes. Uh, total, total surprise. So I took my kids. I try and spend about one night a week just with my kids where it's just their time. And so we'll go get a snack of some kind of unhealthy nature and do something or play games or watch a movie or whatever. And last night we got some ice cream and watched movies and it was like, they just killed that that's, one. That's oh. it. That's it. That's the life right there. Eric, if you could learn and master any skill instantly, what would it be and why? Patience. Because anybody out there who has kids, especially kids under 10 years old, you understand how important patience is and how hard it is to have patience in these moments, especially for those of you out there like myself who have multiple children. I have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a soon-to-be two-year-old. And many times when my wife is out, uh, she takes business trips a lot, leaves me, abandons me for <laughs> three or four days at a time. I take a lot of pride in my ability as a dad. And, you know, the, one of the things I liked about your message is that we are not just mere spectators. I hate when you know, oh, you got all you got all the kids. You're babysitting. I go, no, I'm not babysitting. This is what I do because I'm a stay-at-home dad, and I spend the majority of the time with the kids while my wife works. That's what I do. I work from home too, but my work blocks are shorter, so I spend a lot of time with these guys. And summer was rough. Summer was rough because, as you all know, the the summer programs can be really expensive. So we can only pick and choose what they do and the times and the ages don't always line up. So a lot of, a lot of days was just me and those three and they are at each other's throats and then they're at my throat and then I'm at their throats. So it, it's not like, you know, it's not all lovey dovey all the time. I don't think anybody who doesn't have multiple kids, especially at this age really understands how chaotic it gets and how hard it is. And that feeling of helplessness can be very overwhelming because you just want them to listen to you. <laughs> it's not, it's not that easy. You wish everybody's like, why don't you just discipline them? I'm like, all right, dude. Uh, you don't know, you don't know the struggle. So I've gotten a lot better. And my dad is, a, was an amazing influence on me an incredible role model he had a major character flaw that he passed down to me as parents usually do. Uh, my temper is a little short. And uh, so I tend to blow my stack a little more than I would like. So if I could have one skill mastered right now, just Zen, like just um, the ability to see them break things in my house and just do completely belligerent acts to each other and just be like 
it's okay. Let's just talk about that. Let's just, you know, let's talk about our feelings right now. Why would you, why did you do that? I want to know your, your rationale behind that decision. You know, that would be, that would make my life a little bit easier and probably my blood pressure would lower a few points. You know, you're, you're two steps ahead to the fact that you, you know that about yourself, right? Mm-hmm. You gone, you know what? This is the one thing I think my dad could have done better. And you're not criticizing him as a dad. Mm-hmm. You're not going, you suck. No, it's, Hey, he was great. I think this could have worked better. And I see this in my life and I want to do this better. Right. Mm-hmm. We have so many people out there. It drives me insane. And I, I think every generation does it, but they, they get to a certain point in their life. where like, my parents were wrong about all this, or my parents had no clue what they were doing. And just like, they blame failures on their parents. Right. And it's like, well, you were there, man. You, you, you saw what was good and was not from your point of view. Now you're seeing it from the other side. Mm-hmm. So take some ownership on that. Your parents weren't completely out there. Most likely now. Yeah. That, that's, I think that's the hard part. Yeah. That's the hard part. Bad. That's the hard part about being a parent, right? Because everything that is great about your child you're pretty much responsible for, but everything that's bad, you're also responsible for. It's a two-way street. And I will say this, and I don't want to throw the baby boomers under the bus too much because they did a lot of great things, but there is a certain trait with them as parents that I'm speaking from experience with my parents and from my friends as fellow millennials who have baby boomer parents, that they are not the quickest to own up to their shortcomings as parents. They're basically... They want, and this is ironic, they want the, uh, you know, the participation trophy. They want to like, I, I got you here. You're alive. You know, you're healthy. Like, listen, I'm not, it's not an indictment. Okay. There's just a certain point where we take a step back. We reflect I'm like, oh man, when I become a parent, I don't want to do that. doesn't mean you're a bad parent. And you have to, like you said, ownership is very important. And I plan to take ownership when my son grows up to have a short fuse. You know, I'll be like, well, hey. I try. I I didn't do that great there. I could have done that better. But at the end of the day, if that's like the worst character flaw he has, and that's my my biggest concern with him, I, I think I would have done a pretty good job. But that's really the job of a parent, right? To mess these little humans up as little as possible on the right. way to uh, adulthood. Now, I, I will say on on the baby boomer side of it, uh, we're really the first generation to move to that perspective. Mm-hmm. far as like with that looking back going we need to be more introspective about our lives and like, yeah. that generation that wasn't a thought that wasn't something they were taught that wasn't something that was ever taught to them mm-hmm. right their parents if you go back a step beyond that their parents were like you're here you're fed shut up and be happy yeah. <laughs> get to work uh you know i look at my grandfather who was out picking cotton at five years old mm-hmm. all day long beside his dad. Uh, like all day long. We're talking 12 hours at a time all day. His older sisters would come pick him up in the wagon because he would fall asleep walking home from picking cotton all day. Mm-hmm. And he was right there in the field next to his dad at five years old picking cotton. Right. So you look at the difference in our society. We're the first generation really to start having that luxury to look back and go, you know, you could have done that better. They're just like, you know what? I was better. You should have met my parents, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think there's, I think there's something we can learn from every previous generation. And that's why I hate when 
you know, because I'm sensitive to my generation being labeled a, a certain way. I think that you can't group all baby boomers in a bucket, just like you can't mm-hmm. group all millennials in a bucket. I am definitely, um, I subscribe to some some aspects of baby boomer parenting, a little bit of tough love. You know, I'm not all crunchy granola, woo-woo stuff with my kids. You know, I'm very practical and very grounded but I'm also sensitive to their feelings. So I think there's, once again, essential masculinity. You just, you got to give them what they need when they need it. And you cannot let them run the show and you have to let them know who's boss. So there's, there's also room for, you know, communication and um, there's nothing wrong with talking to your kids about their feelings. Uh, and, but I'm also not a rub your dirt on it kind of guy. I am a, I'm like, is there blood? No. Okay, let's go. I don't want my kids to think every bump and bruise is uh, a catastrophe. So there's a little bit, little bit of column A from my from my dad, a little bit of column B from uh, from me. How old are you? Out of curiosity, I'm 41. Okay, so you're a Gen. I'm an elder. I'm an elder. I'm an elder millennial. I'm actually on the. I'm actually right on the line between. You're, you're Gen Y. What's the zillennial? I guess zillennial. That's a, the cute little nickname they have for us. But uh, yeah, and you know. And I understand where baby boomers are coming from because now when I see Gen Z, I'm like, what in the hell is going on here? I'm not right. the kind of guy I will not, I will not, however, be the kind of guy who's like, oh, his music you listen to is trash. My music was the best. I might believe that. I might listen to only my music. And I listen, I listen to a lot of newer stuff, but I'm like, I don't get it. I don't really care to tell my kids that. If they want to listen to it, how about it? Because I know exactly how my parents felt when I was listening to, you know, you know, when Blair Notorious B.I.G. and, you know, all the all the rap music I grew up on, they're probably like, what the hell is this? Because it was so new. And I'm sure something new is going to come along when my kids are teenagers that I will have no understanding or really appreciation of, but they like it. It's cool with me. I, I always laugh about the music because you hear the stuff is like, I'm, I'm extraordinarily eclectic in my music taste. So like Same. the junior high, I, I grew up in the right area and the right era to like, I, I listened to Nirvana when they were garage band before they hit mm-hmm. the labels. But I also like would shoot pool with my friend in his dad's basement, listening to Creedence Clearwater Revival and Stevie Ray Vaughan and Jimi Hendrix. Mm-hmm. Right. So we, we had that whole, all the way out to like, I played uh, cello when I was younger. And so I also listened to classical music. So I, I have this really like stupidly eclectic, I'll, I'll have all this stuff in like one playlist. My wife's like, what kind of playlist is this? I was like, I don't know. I yeah. Oh, I got Beethoven. I got in Nirvana. I got Guns N' Roses. It's, yeah. It's all- I, I, de- I definitely have ADHD because I cannot, I cannot just settle on one musical genre. Like it's for me, I grew up listening to a lot of Southern rock because my dad's from Ohio and we were in Florida. So we listened to a lot of Almond Brothers, um, a lot of Creedence, a lot of stuff like that. Also, a lot of Springsteen. Every, everybody loves Bruce. Everybody loves Bruce. I love Bruce. And I didn't really appreciate Bruce until I got older. Um, and then as I as I got a little more, I got really into Aerosmith. I was really, I was a classic rock kid a for a while. And then I discovered rap music in about 91, 92. My, uh, I started every once in a while watching Yo! MTV raps when my parents weren't looking. And then one day I was working at a grocery store. The, I think everybody, a lot of people have this kind of story where it's like the cool older kid. It's like, hey, man, mm-hmm. listen to this. And he handed me a tape. 
this wasn't the first tape he gave me. He gave me Sepultura tape first. So that was my first exposure to kind of like heavy metal, I guess, besides Metallica. You know, mm-hmm. I wasn't really into, into heavy metal at that point. And, uh, but he gave me a mixtape of, uh, of, uh, this group called the Wu-Tang Clan. And I was like, as a, as a nerdy kid, I was like, what are they, ninjas? What is it? He's like, yeah, they're, they're like ninjas. I'm like, whoa. And so listening to hip hop like that in that getting exposed to that early on in 94-ish really changed my whole musical trajectory. And I became immersed. And, you know, I, and for, for the most part, I think hip hop music raised me. And then as I got older, I still love hip hop to this day, but I got into little like, I guess, scene emo, you know, stuff like that, like fallout boy, things like that. And then one, and everybody has this story too. If you start listening to pop punk, inevitably it leads you down the hardcore or the metalcore rabbit hole. And you turn into the guy who's wearing the studded belt, camo cargo pants and the band tee. And that's you. And that was my uniform for like a decade. And so, you know, kill switch engage and all, and all these bands like that. And so that the best part about, you know, having kids one of the best parts sorry don't want to trivialize it too much <laughs> is exposing them to your music and seeing which stuff they like and which stuff they 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 gravitate towards like my my son he's seven and he loves august burns red which is extremely heavy for a seven-year-old yes it just, is. he loves kill switch too um but he also he all he's not really into rap but it's he just he loves music he really likes metal but you know we play the temptations here i try to i try to expose him to motown and stuff like that because i would like them to hear when people actually sang with actual instruments and and let them hear that and sometimes he's a, he's got a lot of energy so when you turn on august burns red the house turns into a mosh pit sometimes you gotta turn on some uh, some temptations to chill things out yeah yeah a little soothe it out just a little bit it's like okay we time to wind down yeah i, I actually programmed my children from like the time they were infants. So at bedtime every night, we turn on Adele 25. <laughs> like every night of my, my oldest is 11 now. Almost every night of her life, I turn on Adele 25, that album at bedtime. And to the point where both my children are 11 and nine, they can be like up here, just like bouncing. I turn on Adele 25 and they're like, no. And they mm. automatically start coming down. People were like, you program your children. Yeah. This it's, is a, it's, concept, a, guys. it's a Pavlovian a Pavlovian response. They right? associate they associate that music with getting tired and, and relaxing. Yeah, that's sleep, that's so. chill time and it's smart. That's smart parenting. As a parent, it, it saved me a lot of headaches over the years. It's also cost me a few when we've been like traveling. Oh yeah. And I realized I didn't have the album on my phone. So we're like in the hotel, my wife and I are scrambling through like Amazon Music or Spotify trying to find the album. Now they can't sleep without it, you know. So there, <laughs> there's, the, there's the loaded end of that as well. Yeah. Now, Eric, before we start digging in, what's one thing everybody should know about you? It's a good question. I think above anything else, you should know that my family is the single most important thing to me. And everything I do is really for them. And uh, there's really nothing that I, that even comes close in my hierarchy of importance. It's just my wife, my kids for everything else. And then everything else kind of falls underneath that. Right. 
Guys, we've been getting to know Eric just a little bit in this part of the show. We wanted to let you know who he is and give you some insight into him, into why we're having this conversation. In the next part of the show, we're going to dive into dad bods and your health. We're going to roll to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with more from Eric Kenry. Now, before we go any further, I wanted to share with you guys, I don't always tell you how much I love doing my podcast. Like, I passionately love what I'm doing. And one of the things that makes my life better as a podcaster is to work with a company like Grow Your Show. Grow Your Show is a one-stop podcast do it all. Now, I use Grow Your Show for my marketing, but Grow Your Show is literally a one-stop shop. You can record your episode and just drop it off with them and they take it from there. It's amazing. If you are interested in picking up podcasting as a hobby, or maybe you're looking to expand your business and use podcasting in that aspect, talk to my friends over at Grow Your Show. Adam will take care of you. I guarantee it. I trust him. He's my friend. He's my business colleague, and I wouldn't trust anybody else with my show. Guys, welcome back. In the first part of the show, we just spent some time getting to know who Eric and who he is and what he's about. In this part of the show, we're going to dig into dad bods and your health. Now, Eric, let me let me get this out there just because it's a fascinating detail. You've been a pro wrestler, a bakery owner, a gym owner, you're a CPT, and now you're working with dads to try and help them get their health together and balance that and being a dad, right? What's been your favorite thing to do so far? My favorite thing to do is blowing people's minds because I think that there's a lot of preconceived notions about fitness and especially nutrition and things that you can and cannot eat. And my specialty is helping men understand that their lifestyle doesn't have to change that radically in order to improve their health. You know, you can still go out to eat with your family. You can still go on vacations with your wife. You can go on date nights. You can do these things, but it's about balance. It's about picking your spots. It's about moderation. And many people just think it's chicken and rice and broccoli day after day after day. And it's not that at all. So I think that is my favorite part and really helping these guys, you know, overhaul their mindsets because a lot of this process, that's why I, that's why I changed from just like a fitness coach to fitness and mindset coach, because the mindset is everything. How we approach our daily life will dictate how uh, great our results are. And oftentimes the internal reflects in the external, you know? So for a lot of people, they are always looking for the magic bullet, the quick fix, the plan that will change their life. But it is not about the how you get there. It's about the who you need to be to get there. Oh, come on. No 30-second abs. I wish I could say, hey, I'd be, I wouldn't be here right now. I wouldn't need to do podcasts if I could if I could give you a 30-second fix to, to get in great shape. I'd right. be a billionaire. Yeah. Now, Eric, how do you go from wrestler to food influencer? Man, the trajectory of my life is so weird. Even if you go backwards, the fact that I that my last pivot was from junk food influencer, my Instagram was just about my my life, my family, and the junk food that I liked it was kind of a hobby of mine. Um, then I pivoted to fitness and mindset coach. It's very weird, but I'm I'd love to get to that in a second. But going all the way back, when I was in high school, people asked me what I wanted to do. I told them I'm going to be a pro wrestler. And they laughed. I don't blame them. That's a wild thing to say for a 17-year-old kid. But I 
did it because whenever I say, whenever I verbalize something out loud, when I put it, I'm not one of those guys just like, I'm going to do this. And then I just, I fall off and hope people forget about it. Uh, -uh. I, before I even say it, I've already visualized it. It's already happened. And I was going to be a pro wrestler come hell or high water. So I did that, did that for a decade, a decade or so got out of that, got into personal training from personal training. I, I love food. And when Instagram came about, the first couple of things I posted were food. And then over time, my wife and I, one of our favorite pastimes is eating. You know, I think there's a lot, there's a misconception about people who consider each other soulmates and, and people who have happy marriages. They think they have a lot of common interests. It's not the case at all. My wife and I are very different people. She is not a nerd whatsoever. She doesn't like anything nerdy, unless you count plants and personal development, which is not that nerdy. So we bonded over food a lot of times. One of our favorite little pastimes, we'd go out to, we'd find out about some new Pop-Tart that came out and we'd hunt for it at all the Walmarts. You know, this is before kids, so we had all the time in the world. And so eventually people started asking me like, hey, how does that taste? You know, you know what? I should start reviewing these things. And then around the same time, Instagram rolled out the video feature to many people's chagrin. But nevertheless, we've seen where that time has proven that they've made the right choice. But uh, it was 30 second videos. So I started doing fun size reviews and I would just sit in my car. I wouldn't edit them at all. I would literally take a bite of something. And as I'm spitting crumbs out, uh, chewing with my mouth open, talking with my mouth full, I would give the re reviews of these things. Sometimes I would do it in my kitchen. And then when I had kids, my popularity skyrocketed because I would start doing reviews with the kids and probably guess they aren't great co-stars in terms of, um, I guess, uh, direction. They just kind of do their own thing. And that's, that's the fun. They say crazy things. They do crazy things. And a lot of good times doing that, but eventually I grew out of it. And, uh, my kids, I think grew out of it too. They don't want to be a captive person and it's just not fun to eat in front of the camera. It's just fun to enjoy the food and be mindful. And so I, um, started going on a little bit of a personal development journey, which, uh, I, I like I said, I don't want to get into that part because I think that's probably the most important story I have to tell today. And I found myself not finding joy in those things anymore. And I found myself being more fulfilled by once again, helping others. And I had done some powerlifting coaching in the past and done pretty well at that. So I got back into this and at first it was just dads, but I don't, don't mean to correct you. Uh, I have actually expanded my, my scope to non dads as well. But my my demographic, I would say, is men of an advanced age. Notice I didn't say old. Men of an advanced age. So 30-plus-year-old men who have maybe lapsed in their fitness, who maybe like to make excuses about how their life's too busy or the kids are keeping you know, keep too occupied. Uh-uh, we don't buy that. We do not buy that. You have to take care of yourself. You have to hold yourself to a high standard. And uh, that's what I do now. And I love doing it. Just being in that position where I can help others and be a leader and be a mentor and, and change people's lives is amazing. And and forgive me for that. I was I did actually know you were aware or was aware that you had moved into a fuller uh, scope yeah. of work. I knew you started I, with tired dad fitness. Yep. And expanded from there. Uh I just that name stuck out of my head with tired dad fitness. Like I know this is where you started, but I didn't know you actually expanded. So I apologize for that, guys. That that's on me. That, that's okay. I think a lot of people know me from that. And the, and the, and the name tired dad fitness club isn't really ironic. It's because so many guys will say, Oh, 
I can't work out. I'm tired. I, and I say, join the club, dude. We're all tired. Every one of us that has kids and jobs, we're all tired, but the, we have to start looking for reasons instead of finding excuses. And a lot of times you just walk out in your house and you look around you see those kids. That's your reason. Okay. That's the reason you do it. So you can, you want to be healthy so you can play with them. You can watch them grow up and you can be a good role model. That's it. Now, what do you think of the whole dad bod argument? Now, let me be very clear. This can be anybody, right? It's just called a dad bod, but it's generally men over 30 most of the time. Mm -hmm. And I've heard like, I, I think it's a, it's a load of crap. I, I don't think this is true. Right. But you see those uh, YouTube videos where guys go around and ask women, you know, what do you prefer? What do you prefer? And about half the time women were like, Oh, I prefer the dad bod. I like to be a little round. To me, that's an excuse. Like women are just making, throwing that out there because it takes the pressure off them to be in as healthy of a shape. Mm -hmm. But I don't think anything that encourages a person to be unhealthy is a good trend. What, what do you think about this whole dad bod trend? I can't stand it personally. I think it's a narrative that has been pushed by the media to help keep men soft and weak and to accept the bare minimum or below the bare minimum and to stop, you know, chasing these, these physical goals that we, we set for ourselves in our twenties. And all of a sudden, since we got, we got older and we have kids and responsibilities we're supposed to just sacrifice those things, sacrifice our health for those things. It's ridiculous. And I do agree with you. When I hear women say that it smacks of insecurity to me because they don't want a man who might be desirable to other women. So they don't want to have to worry about other women looking at their man. They want a guy who's doughy, soft, doesn't take good care of himself, doesn't dress well, is unkept, because that way they have the control. They have the power. And there's nothing wrong with listen. I love, I'm a, nobody takes this out of context. I have two daughters. I love my wife. I worship the ground she walks on. Some people might even label me a feminist and I wouldn't have a problem with that. But here's the thing. we got to call a spade a spade. And when people say that, it's just the same thing when, you know, uh, guys do it with women. You know, it's the same thing. If you're okay with your wife being a little bit heavier, a lot of times I think that's just because you are insecure and you don't want to have to worry about her cheating on you. And a lot of times you see this happen in these relationships where the man or the woman gets in really good shape and then there's some, some tension because the other one doesn't get in shape. And they're worried, they're insecure about their relationship because now they're like, oh, he's got to leave me for somebody else. It's very easy to keep each other accountable in a relationship and to hold each other to a high standard of physical fitness. But though, like I said, I'm good at diatribes. I can ramble for a long time. I just do not like the idea of a dad bod. I think that we are all, we are all uh, meant to look different. We all have different muscle muscle belly insertions, different metabolisms, different builds. I do not personally have a very aesthetic build, a very classical build. I have a wide blocky waist. I have smaller arms. I have tiny calves. My wife's calves are bigger than mine. I have no problem saying that, that she has crazy calf development. And you know, you know what though? Those aren't excuses. You make the best for what you've given. And that's all you have to do. Like you can still be lean, athletic and fit doesn't matter. You don't need to look like the guy on the cover of men's health, the guy that works out for a living. Okay. You don't need to look like that. All right. But you need to hold yourself to a high standard. You need to take care of yourself. You need to eat right. You need to exercise. 
you need to be a good role model for your kids and other men. Let me let, let me take this go say let's let's segue this just for a second because I want to touch on something you said. Yeah. Uh gentlemen, please hear this very clearly. You're not all going to look the same in your best shape or mm -hmm. when you're healthy. Okay. Uh I have I have monster calves and I don't have to like I have genetically I don't have to work to keep muscle on my legs, mm -hmm. my, my thighs and my calves just genetically they're usually sculpted and huge, right? I don't have to work for that. Uh, and that's all genetics. I have really low insertions on my deltoids. Mm -hmm. And so like, I will never have the big shoulder cap look that you see on a classic bodybuilder. Same. Because the insertions are lower. And so even when my shoulders get bigger, my shoulders don't look as blocky as some guys who you see, right? Who have that quote unquote perfect insertion point and mm -hmm. guys you need to understand there's a lot of differences in genetics some guys have naturally the way their the separations in their abdominal walls look they have a six pack some people have an eight pack few people actually have like a, almost a nine pack yeah. right it's it's kind of nuts when you start getting lean and you understand that design in your belly is all about the fascia mm -hmm. so you're not all going to look the same and please don't think that you have to try. Taking drugs or pushing yourself harder is not going to change the natural genetics. So don't think you're all going to look that way. Mm -hmm. Understand that we're all just built differently. You can still be healthy. You're just not going to look identical to like a pro bodybuilder necessarily. Right. Or let's be more realistic, like the physique guys or anything. Yeah. I mean, comparison is the thief of joy. I love that saying. I find myself saying it to myself a lot. You know, I used to be 310 pounds. And so because I lost all that weight, my there's a kind of a, a film of loose skin. So the best I can get and at my leanest, and I mean really drawn out, really lean, I get a four pack. And it's not even that pronounced. You know, there's just, it's just genetics and a combination of genetics and, you know, that, that, uh, that abuse I, 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 put my body through when I was younger. So, but like I said, you can still get lean. You can still be in great cardiovascular shape by eating a good diet, exercising consistently and holding yourself to a high standard. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to right? We like to pretend that guys aren't as insecure as <laughs> women are about the way they look, but it might really be worse. Are. Yeah, we might be. Yeah. I mean, dudes will work out to impress other dudes. That's how insecure we are. Like, like it's like, you see how jacked that guy is? Man, he's, you're looking jacked, bro. Like, girls don't work. That's not why girls train. You know, I, girls, I, tra girls train, you know, just for themselves largely. And then sometimes someone want to train to impress, you know, get a guy's attention. But dudes, we are, I would say, in my experience, uh, we have more body, much more body dysmorphia on the male side than women do. I think there's, a, and that's, it's funny because there's, you know, up until recent years, nobody really wanted to admit that the beauty standards for men were as unfair as they are for women. But it's true because and that's why I hate the dad bod. The dad bod is so hypocritical. Like you want every woman to look like a swimsuit model, but you can walk around looking like a pear. That's ridiculous. You yeah. should be held to the same standard that they are if we're going to if we're going to have these unrealistic standards right but that's the point they're unrealistic 
you don't need to look like the men's health cover model and you're, the girls you're going after don't need to look like swimsuit models. You need to look like real people, real jobs who and real responsibilities and real lives, but that, you know, they take care of themselves. Yeah, exactly. I, I had a friend who had aspirations of uh, like, you know, getting into bodybuilding a little bit. And I mean, he was, he was jacked. Like he was in great shape, worked mm -hmm. out hard, had a good training plan, but his biceps, the way the inserts were, he always had this like tight little round knot in the middle. That's me. And it was that's really strong. Yeah, that's right. Just that and then it dips. Yeah. Right. And he was yeah. always so insecure about it. He's like, it doesn't matter what I do. It's like, dude, you cannot change the genetic insertions of that muscle to make that long. You can't elongate that. <laughs> yeah. I would say I look kind of like a, a muscular scarecrow when I get really lean and it could be worse, you know, like the, the, the blocky waist and stuff like that. But like I said, I, as I've gotten older and body dysmorphia wreaked havoc on me for a very long time. I mean, I'd be lying if I said I still don't have a little bit of it, but that's, I think just maybe me holding myself to a, a, a higher standard than most. But, you know, when I was younger, I'd say that a lot of my, my self-confidence issues and, and my resulting eating disorder was uh, a result of not dealing with that body dysmorphia in a healthy way. Well, I think any guy who actually starts like lifting and taking lifting somewhat seriously develops a kind of body dysmorphia, even if you don't want to call it that. Yeah. I remember, I, so I broke my neck in 2020. I went down, I was doing a yoke walk with yoke straps because the gym I was at didn't have a yoke. So wow. I had yoke straps on a bar and I went down, I ended up breaking my neck, right? I was carrying <laughs> 600 pounds, fell back, landed on the bar, snapped my C5 across it. Uh, and my dad was like, so you're done, right? You survived that by the grace of God. But I was like, no, <laughs> in a year or two, I'll be back there. It might take a year and a half, two years to get back up to that weight, but all you, he's like, I've just never had the desire to pick up 600 pounds. I was like, well, that's fine. That's, that's, you don't have to have that desire. I do. He said, so what's enough? What's after 600 pounds? Is that it? Are you done there? I was like, 700, of course. <laughs> yeah. Right. He's like, when is, and I had to really stop and think like, when, when is enough? And it is, it's this kind of body dysmorphia to, a point of it's like what is strong enough well i i want to see what my maximum capacity is right? yes that for me that's enough when i hit that genetic limiting no matter what effort i put in i plateaued and we're not going to make more than a half pound jump here or there and i i definitely have gotten close to that genetically for me right there's there is just that wall where without major radical changes or maybe even some chemical help you can only go so heavy uh for your body right everything starts to hurt at that point yeah i was gonna say even even with even if you're on peds they don't necessarily strengthen the ligaments and joints to the point right. sometimes you you surpass your genetic potential for muscles uh from muscular growth and then the ligaments and stuff end up tearing you see it happen all the time so that's just another pitfall for this whole quest for unrealistic uh achievement oh, i guess no i just i was always a big fan i was like okay i do i really i took that i think it was aristotle who said something about if you don't live up to your genetic if men don't push themselves to their physical potential at least once in their life they're mm -hmm. they're missing out and that's paraphrased of course but mm -hmm. it's like i just i just wanted to know like 
without taking any kind of drugs, just like eating well and, and training hard, right? What can I get up to? And, you know, I got to that. It's like, could I do more? I want to at least see kind of thing. Right. But we developed that, right. What's, what's some guys I was never, uh, I didn't want to look like a bodybuilder. I don't want to get bulky, right. Like that, but I wanted to be strong. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, you know, what is, do I need to put on a little more like physical size to get stronger? Yeah. So, you know, back and forth. Right. But yeah, you develop that kind of, where is that limit? Where do you want to, where do you want to get to? if you start working out with any kind of seriousness, just because it's like, Oh man, you start feeling good. Right. It's an addiction. You get, you do get addicted to it. It's, it's, I don't think anybody, I think everybody that started working out understands that it's just like, you get a little vein all of a sudden you're like, Oh my God, this is the right? greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. I want more, more vascularity, more size, more strength. I used to train my best friend. She developed traps. She's like, oh my God, I have traps. It's cool. Right? I was like, what's what's the big deal? She's like, no, no, no. Like, okay, some people have genetically big arms or big. It's like, but you have to work to actually have like traps where there's actually a line from your neck to your shoulder. She was so proud. It's like this great moment in her life. She finally developed traps. You know, it's it, yeah, it's a lot of fun. You said you dropped a hundred pounds. Yeah, uh, you, so you're up at three something. What was it? Three something. Three ten. Three ten. Three ten. Yeah. How? How? Tell us that story, because a lot of dads so, are going. A lot of men right now are going. Well, you're 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 skinny. Yeah, I wish I could say that it was the last time I lost a bunch of weight, but it wasn't. It you know, my story involves a lot of failure and a lot of setbacks, and one of those was my relationship with food and. I've always loved to work out. I think this is a common story, right? Mm -hmm. Love to try. I, I get clients coming all the time. I love to work out, but my diet, this, my diet, that food. Yes, I know. I understand. Fortunately, food's like 90% of your results. So we got to dial that in. And that's what takes a lot of work. But when I was a kid, I ate a lot. Now I have a sister. She's a good metabolism. I did not. We ate largely the same things. My parents, uh, baby boomers had no idea about nutrition. Of course, just a lot of pasta, a lot of bread with butter, with the pasta, a lot of milk, a lot of milk with the bread with butter, with the pasta. And, you know, we still eat fish and they, a lot of home-cooked meals. It wasn't a lot of fast food. And we had pizza Fridays, of course, as every 90s kid does. And we go out to eat on the weekends. And my dad, you know, he liked to eat Oreos and he liked ice cream. And I would join him. I would just have eight Oreos instead of four you know, and when you're a parent, you have these blinders on, I think, or at least my parents did. They just see a happy kid and they don't really pay any mind to what's, you know, coming in the high school years and how brutal kids can be and how, how much your, your self-confidence can take a hit when you don't um, like what you see in the mirror. And so I, uh, I kept eating and I, like I said, I've always loved food. I'll always love food. So don't get it twisted. But I, I had a lot of a lot of bad habits and a horrible relationship with food and football did not do me any favors because when you play offensive line in Florida, the bigger you are, the better. So there's a lot of days in between two days we'd go, you know, 
we'd work out in the morning, go to Taco Bell, get the 10 for 10, you know, 10, they don't do it anymore. I don't think, but it was 10 tacos for $10. Hell of a deal. Hell of a deal. Hell of a deal. So it was like a big box. We just eat that. We go back to train. And then I, after the second, second practice, I'd go and get a big gulp and like some, I don't even know what I would eat, like a Charleston chew or something. I'm probably dating myself by saying Charles, you're like, what's a Charleston chew? You know, uh, and a lot of junk food. Just I just always always eat hot pockets. Big hot pockets were huge. You guys, hot pockets are still around, but in the '90s, hot pockets were a kid's staple. Like if your parents worked out of the house, if your parents weren't home and they were working in the summer, you lived off hot pockets and ramen, and that's mm-hmm. all. That's all we ate really. So uh, my sister stayed thin. She was just as active as I was. We both we always played sports. But, you know, I got up to 310 my senior year, and uh, I was a pretty darn good football player um, for my genetics. I actually, you know, had a few Division three offers that I declined. I just didn't feel like, you know, crushing my body for um, for no reason. I mean, was, I mean the education would have been cool, but like I said, I wanted to be a pro wrestler. So I uh, the summer after my, my senior year, I decided to lose um, the weight. And so... I just got this idea in my head. I'd heard about the Atkins diet and I got this book and I basically did the Atkins diet for a year straight. I didn't eat sugar. Um, I didn't eat a carb. As far as I can remember, it was a lot of Caesar salad, a lot of cheese and meat, of course, uh, pork rinds, just disgusting, archaic, not, not, it's not a good methodology in terms of nutrition. However, it served its purpose because it allowed me to eliminate my biggest weakness at that point. And the thing that was causing me, um, the, was destroying me. Essentially. I, I was pre-diabetic and I had, I was, I, you know, my blood pressure was through the roof. The doctor was like, you gotta lose weight. So, um, I was drinking a ton of soda, ton of regular soda. As soon as I cut that out, that was the first thing I did before I even started Atkins. I lost 20 pounds in probably two weeks just from the sodium and the sugar and the carbohydrates that were in my body. And then once I eliminated everything else, as far as the junk food goes, you know, I would eat like an Adkins bar. I would have, you know, some meat and cheese for lunch and then a Caesar salad for dinner. I was eating very low calorie, but very high fat and high protein. So the weight just started flying off and I'd go to the YMCA, I'd work out and then I'd play full court basketball for an hour every day. And, uh, I lost, I lost over like at that point, I think my cleared about 80 ish pounds. And, um, I looked terrible, you know, I looked skinny fat, but I was healthy. So that's all that mattered. And, uh, I didn't, once again, going back to the how versus the who I didn't change anything about my mentality. I just programmed myself. Like, I'm going to do this plan. I'm going to stick to it until I get to where I want to go. And it wouldn't be the last time I did this. And that was my problem for a decade plus essentially spinning my wheels, yo-yoing up and down in my weight. Because I wasn't addressing the who, I was addressing the how, and that's it. So my relationship with food never got better. And so when I went to college after that, I had my first bout with depression and binge eating disorder, and I ended up gaining like thirty or forty pounds. But like I said, I don't want to. Let's keep the the happy ending where I lost almost a uh, hundred pounds. But really, the happy ending is me right now, not not that that first step. And I just don't want people to think like. You, nobody figures it out right away like that. Nobody figures it out in a summer. Like, ah, I did it. This is it. My life's forever changed. I mean, some people might, but uh, for a 17-year-old, 18-year-old kid, they have a lot of learning to do. And I definitely had a lot of learning to do. Now, I wanted to touch base on that before we get into the next section of the show, just because 
I, I want to silence the arguments before there is an argument, right? I, I've met a lot of people who, unfortunately, as a podcaster, I, I meet a lot of people who are influencers or coaches of one sort or another. And the ones that get under my skin are the, and it's not a, it's going to sound bad, right? It's, it's the 22-year-old life coaches yep. who aren't even out of school yet. They It's like you you haven't lived life, but they're also fitness coaches, right? It's like you've never been fat in your life. Like you were genetically blessed with and introduced to a healthy lifestyle early on. And now you're trying to tell people how to lose weight, but you've never been heavy and you've never mm -hmm. understood. So I wanted to silence that right off the bat because that bothers me. I know a lot of men are like, what do you know about being overweight? Okay. Eric's been up and down. This isn't this current state of his life is not where he's always been. He's fought weight over and over again. It wasn't a one-time thing. He's gone up and down. He's had the emotional and mental impacts of that as well. And I wanted to establish that with everybody before we move into the next part of the show, guys. Just so you know, this is a real conversation with someone who understands what it's like to yo-yo on your weight, what it's like to try and figure it out on your own, what it's like to try and put these habits into your life. Mm -hmm. Now, we've been talking about dad bods and your health and into Eric's story and background a little bit more. We're going to dive into fitness for men over 30. In the next part of our show, we're going to roll our sponsor and we will be right back with more from Eric and Ryan. How well do you sleep at night? Do you toss and turn and wake up more tired than when you went to bed? Sleep is commonly one of the critical elements people fall short on in their life. The quality of sleep you get directly affects your ability to control your weight, your ability to add muscle, your stress levels, and your everyday job and life performance. If you're ready to move to the next level, then sleep has to be part of the plan. Check out our friends at ghostbed.com if you're ready to get your best sleep. I love my ghost bed. I've been sleeping on one for a couple of years and has made a huge difference in how I sleep. Hit ghostbed.com and use the code thefallibleman30 to get 30% off your order and start getting better night's sleep tomorrow. Now, let's go on to the show. Guys, welcome back. In the last part of the show, we were discussing dad bods and your health and getting a little more of Eric's actual background uh, because I think that really speaks to him being able to sync up with your life, right? I know it syncs up with my life really well. In this part of the show, we're going to dig into fitness for men over 30 because life changes, right? Your body changes uh, practical experience every five years. Uh, I know those have been landmarks for me. It's like 20, 25, 30. Like there are major changes I pick up about every five years of my body and the way it responds to training, the way it responds to food, the way my metabolism is affected, my need for sleep. And so we're going to get into, you know, how this can work for you. You don't have to be unhealthy. In fact, you shouldn't be unhealthy. But there's a lot to it. So getting into this, Eric, I wanted to start with how mental health ties into men's fitness, because I don't think a lot of people understand that. At the risk of sounding like one of those alpha male personal development guys, I think there's a major link between your physical fitness and your mental health. I think that if you are struggling with anxiety or struggling with depression, that eating a good nutritious diet 
and exercising consistently will definitely improve your mental health. Now, I'm not saying, obviously, this is not my wheelhouse. I've, I've had my battles with depression, anxiety, binge eating disorder, all that stuff. And you cannot cure it with just good diet and exercise, but it's a supplement. It's a definite key to your recovery. If you really are invested in your mental health and you want to improve it and you're tired of feeling horrible all the time, one of the first steps you need to take is to take care of your physical health. There is a lot of research that shows that exercise released endorphins can help with depression. We know that. But also, when you see something in the mirror that you like and your body starts to change and you start to see it develop in a positive way, it makes you feel better about yourself, which in turn has, you know, that's a kind of a snowball effect that will help your mental health overall. And on top of that, you know, there's been links between junk food, specifically sugar. And I can speak, and this is just purely anecdotal, I can speak from experience that my mental health improved once I removed refined sugar from my diet. I removed most processed foods outside of, you know, protein shakes and things of that nature. But once refined sugar was removed from my diet, my mental clarity and my and my outlook and my uh, general nature changed. And obviously, it has a lot to do with dopamine and finding good sources of good sources of dopamine instead of these unhealthy sources of dopamine. And I think that when I and I try to relay this message to everybody, if you really want to improve your mental health, stop searching for instant gratification to make yourself feel better. You know, eating junk food, instant gratification, gambling, instant gratification, porn, instant gratification, spending money, instant gratification, all these things. Search for delayed gratification. It's a lot harder, but the delayed gratification stuff is so much better for you and it'll be so much more worth it in the long run. And the best version, best form of delayed gratification, in my opinion, is developing your body. All right. Now, Eric, I I was looking through one of the hardest things being podcast host is like, okay, how do I condense what should take hours of conversation yeah. right into enough of the conversation that it benefits my audience and it helps them to know that you know you could be someone they could connect with for that so i want to break down your process a little bit uh as you work with men over 30 some of the things that you mentioned in well let me phrase that some of the things that as i was researching for the show that you look into with men are mindset, time management, mm-hmm. uh, diet strategies, and effective training methods mm-hmm. for busy men. How do you start to structure this for your clients? Where do you start and how does this you know, correlate together? Time management is typically the first thing we talk about because it's 90% of the time people will come to me, men will come to me and they'll say, I just don't have enough time short on time. I can't do this. I can't do that. And we take a look at their day, their schedule, and we really break it down. And I think that if you're listening to this right now and you find yourself saying you don't have enough time, I think if you really sat down and broke your day down hour by hour, you could either see some time, time sucks that are, that are happening. Some, some little leaks where you could, you could get 30 minutes back or this is my favorite fix. And it's the hardest pill for many men to swallow. You're going to have to wake up earlier and go to bed earlier too, because if you if you got kids and you want to work out, a lot of times the only time you're going to have 
It's the first thing in the morning because by the end of the day, the last thing most of us want to do is work out. So time management's big. Mindset's the next part uh, along with the nutrition. I actually, I'll go back because I like to go a little more practical. We'll talk about the nutrition part first because I have to hear what they eat. They tell me what they eat. I tell them that's crap. That's crap. Take that out. That's good. You're not eating enough protein. We need more vegetables and fruit. You're an adult. Come on, eat like it so on and so forth. And then we kind of combine the time management part because everybody needs uh, uh, an eating strategy that is sustainable. I call it a template or, you know, eating schedule. Uh, I have, I eat four meals a day. I eat them at the same time every day. And there's a couple reasons for this. Number one, that regimented structure is good for consistency. And two, keeps your blood sugar stable. I'm not, I'm a, a big anti-snacking guy. I don't like snacking between meals because what happens when you snack is your blood sugar goes up. You want to eat more. Inevitably, you want to snack more. So we don't snack. We eat our, we eat our meals and we keep it moving. So I, and I figure out like some guys eat three meals a day. Some guys eat five. Does just depends on what their schedule is. So we get that going. And then inevitably we have to cross the, the mindset part. Uh, the training parts, I don't mean to diminish my own, my own product here, but the exercise part is the X's and O's as I call it. And it's kind of the least important part. I love designing training programs and you need to be doing resistance training and you need to be doing cardio if you want to get in the best shape you can be. But that's the last part and the least important part. As long as you do it, we're good. It doesn't have to be crazy stuff. The mindset though is what's going to keep you in the game. And sustainability is very important to me. I want my clients to get results with me, but I want them to get results the rest of their life without me. I don't want them to need me forever. I want them to get what they get with me and either improve after we, we stop working together or just maintain the results because of the changes they've made to their mindset. And a lot of men have limiting beliefs. I already talked about one. I don't have enough time. You do have enough time. You just don't want to face the fact that you have to wake up an hour earlier and, and get it done. You just don't want to do that. So let's take our limiting beliefs and flip them on their heads. I don't have enough time. You do have enough, have enough time. It's going to suck, but you do have enough time. Let's make it happen. Let's find that time. And limiting beliefs are, I can't, you know, I'm never going to, I can't do this with my current job or I can't do this with my family obligations. You can do this. You will figure out a way to do this. But if you tell yourself and limiting beliefs will kill any sort of progress you have or any, if you have a goal in mind, whether it's physique, business, if you have limiting beliefs in your head and they're always popping up, they're going to kill you. They're just going to stop you dead in your tracks because the the mind is so powerful. What's the saying? Whether you're, you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. That's what I'm talking about. Limiting beliefs will keep you trapped. So we just got to flip them on their head and you got to believe that you can do these things. And in the grand scope, it's these aren't huge changes. They're little tiny changes that add up over time, you know, small efforts uh, done over extraordinary amounts of time result in extraordinary results. So those are, that's kind of the, you actually really boiled it down to that little four part process, but it is, it's, it's the time management, it's the mindset, it's the nutrition, it's the training and that's it. One of the things I found with myself and, and several of my clients over the years has been right in that time management. It's, it's the stuff we, the, those instant dopamine hits that we really yes. want to keep. Like I TV, had a yeah. lot of television time yep. to be more productive. I had to give up. I actually audited it at one point. And it's like, man, I'm, I'm spending all my free time watching shows because I've got like eight shows I'm trying to keep up with between mm -hmm. getting off work and bedtime. 
every week and is like just sucking all of my free time out. So I had like yeah. to go back on the television shows. This is actually well, where see, pet peeve about video games comes in. So well, since I'm a practical guy, when mm-hmm. it comes to comes to you can you can serve two masters there. You know, you get an iPad, you get a phone. Mm-hmm. We got streaming. Get on that treadmill. Get on that elliptical and and binge watch your shows. Do two hours of cardio while you're watching <laughs> your shows. If you really if you really want to, if you got the time to do it, hey man, then you, then you can uh, kill two birds with one stone. Replace the couch, guys. Put it, that's right just put it we just need to move we need to move more in general as a society so yeah replace the couch but yeah that's where part of my bias like tying back to the first part of our conversation comes from is like how much time did i waste playing those games because i lost control over it i i was mm-hmm. yielding that control to how much time i wanted to be in there it was like i wasn't doing anything for my health i wasn't doing anything for my personal development i wasn't doing anything professionally like growing in any way because I chose to do this other stuff. So that was getting rid of the video games was the first step for me. And then getting my TV watching under control and getting off the couch and moving more, right? But I, I look at guys' schedules so many times like, well, I can't sleep if I don't, if I don't, you know, just veg in front of the television for an hour. Yeah, you can. What if I told you that watching TV actually is detrimental to your sleep at close to bedtime. That blue light exposure, not cutting it off soon enough, will actually, you know, affect your sleep. I have two very important protocols for my lifestyle that I try to uh, at least encourage my clients or my followers to to engage in. Number one is my wake up routine. I wake up first thing in the morning. I don't look at my phone. I drink water immediately. You're dehydrated when you wake up. Drink 20 ounces of water, 30 ounces. We'll just chug it. Um, I, I had, since I'm in Florida and it's hot, hot as hell here, I had, uh, Himalayan sea salt, pink Himalayan sea salt yeah. in my water yeah. plus a, plus a hydration supplement. Cause I work out in my garage and it's, it's brutal. And so I drink, I drink a bunch of that and it tastes good. Cause I have the, the hydration supplement and it's flavored. So ghost ghost makes one that tastes like red berry sour patch kids. I'm, I'm sponsored by ghost, but I'm still a huge believer in their products. So I use other, I use other companies, but don't tell them. Um, but ghost is my, they're still my favorite company. So, uh, it's, I call it market research, whatever. And then I drink water and I go out, let my dogs out and I sit on my little patio and I read and I reflect and I would love to sit out there for an hour, but that's not how my life's set up. So I, I block 15 minutes mm-hmm. and I'll read, read, read some pages and I'll, and I'll sit there and I'll go in and then I'll take my pre-workout and then I work out and that's how it goes. And nighttime, same thing. My wife and I have a rule. We have an hour block when we actually get an hour. A lot of times, whether it's jujitsu or she's out of town, maybe we don't have time to sit on the couch together, but we'll sit there. We'll watch something. Maybe it's 45 minutes, depending on how tired we are. We come in, brush our teeth, shut all the lights off, except for our reading lights. AC, because of our nest, goes down to 64 degrees, which is, believe it or not, the op- or 68 degrees, which is the optimal sleeping temperature. We did the research. We're nerds like that and then we read for about 15 minutes and reading if you guys don't do it will actually for me really help you sleep really relaxes your mind sometimes just makes you sleepy when you're old like myself so um and then i use a sleep mask white noise pitch black room boom that's it and that's why i can wake up at 4 a.m every day ready to kill it 9 p.m by the way 9 p.m bedtime yeah so you and i are on the same schedule yep Four, four and nine. I'm, I'm do That's my seven best. hours. That's yeah. seven hours. My best to be in bed at nine. I'm up at four. Uh, 
but yeah, I, I have several similar, I, I do eight ounces of water. I've, I've found like, I have a lot of sinus problems. Mm-hmm. I always have uh, with allergies. So if I, I can drink eight ounces of water right when I get up, if I try and chug much more of that, I end up throwing up. So <laughs> no yeah, that's, that's, pro- that's prohibitive. That's not what we're trying to do. So yeah, get, get a little hydration started. And I'll actually add a little Himalayan sea salt to it just to help it stay. And, uh, but yeah, definitely. I, I find a lot of people, I, I tell them like, I go to bed at nine and get up before they're like, I could never do that. You could, I say that I have the same conversation. I'm like, you could, if you wanted to, you could, you could do a lot of things. It will Read- suck to start with, I'm not going like, to lie, but yeah, everybody that says that, I'm like, you aren't familiar with David Goggins. You need to read David Goggins' book. If you think you can't do something, I need you to read David Goggins' Can't Hurt Me. And then you will you're, you will be blown away by what the human mind can motivate the human body to endure. So it's really not that hard to wake up an hour earlier. Dude, dude's a beast. I don't actually like to use David Goggins' reference just because there, there, there are those people who are in that mindset. 1%. He's, one per, he's the 1%, man. Hyper elite. He's, uh, he's a he's a rare he's he, not even a rare breed he's a one of one there's nobody like david goggins but that's i just like to use this as an example like if you really think that it's this hard let's put it put it in perspective here it's not that hard and there's but there's stories all throughout history of people using their minds to do amazing things with their bodies and you know i just don't think for me it's that big of a sacrifice or that big of a challenge to sleep a little bit less so that I can nourish my body with exercise. Eric, we gotta, we gotta start laying in this plane. So let's go for our listeners. What are the first three steps? If someone hears this and it just clicks today, right? They're like, bam, wow. That really spoke to me. What are the first three steps that they can start right now walking away from the show and implement to start this journey towards a healthier version of them? Number one, and this is the hardest one. I'm going to start with the hardest one. You got to cut out most processed foods and refined sugars. I know this sounds extremely ironic coming from a guy who used to be a junk food blogger, but it's worked for me and I've seen it work for my clients. I know you think you're going to have sugar cravings, but in my experience, once again, this is anecdotal, so take it with a big uh, block of sugar, a sugar cube. Uh, When I stopped eating sugar, after the detox period, because there was a detox period where I was still craving it. I stopped wanting it. I do not want sugar. Could I eat a gigantic bowl full of rice, potatoes, beans, or fruit? Of course, but these are healthy foods. And as far as I know, I haven't heard of any story of people were getting fat off of eating too many bananas. Okay. It doesn't happen. Oh, I eat too many chicken breasts. It's like, no, it doesn't happen like that. These foods are there's a reason these foods out there, these junk foods are designed, scientifically designed to make you want to eat more of them. Nobody has ever, ever eaten one chocolate covered pretzel and been like, yeah, that's great. I'm good. It doesn't work like that. So that's number one. We got to get that out of the way. Number two, you got to move more. We are a sedentary society. A lot of our jobs are desk bound. So no matter how you can do it, whether it's just adding more cardiovascular work into your exercise program or just parking further away from the grocery store, taking the stairs instead of the elevator. I know it sounds trivial, but all of these things add up. I try to, I have an arbitrary goal of, you know, 15,000 steps a day. Sometimes I hit it, sometimes I don't, but I always get at least 10,000. And the days I hit 15,000, I feel way better, especially when I can walk outside. Um, and lastly, and this is, uh, this is one that I think everybody could benefit from 
I think you should start reading more personal development books. Now, you're not going to get 100% fulfillment out of every book. You're going to have to pick and choose the lessons and the and the and the helpful nuggets that you get from these books. But once I started read, I, I'm a big fiction guy, big sci-fi guy, still love it. But I started reading these books, and they helped me become more introspective, and I became uh, it became easier for me to reflect on the things I've done because and make sure it's it's uh, a bunch of different subjects, especially if you're a dad focus on a lot of fatherhood books. Uh, and once again, you're not going to agree with everything, but I think it's important we find different perspectives. So cut out the junk food, okay? Move more and start reading. And obviously there's these little 3B, 3C, you know, eat more protein, drink more water, lift some damn weights. All right. What is next for Eric Kenray? What's next is fulfilling my purpose, continuing to fulfill my purpose. I have done a lot in my life. I've been a professional wrestler. I've been a bakery owner, a gym owner, a power lifter, you know, uh, I've done so many things. And I thought at a number of different times that I had my forever job, the bakery specifically, but now I know that this is my purpose, the fulfillment I get from helping others, the the joy I get when my client hits a new low weigh-in or goes out to eat and doesn't eat the, the nachos for the appetizer and the burger for the entree. That's such a huge W. And I feel like I'm winning. And it's kind of an extension in weird way. This is going to be a little weird, but unless you've been a mentor or a leader, you can't really understand. It's like your kids. When your kids it's like you hit a home run, you feel amazing. It's just, it's, it's un, indescribable. And when your clients are able to change their lives and their outlooks and their bodies, it, it's, and their whole mindset, it is an incredible feeling because yes, they did it, but you played that, you played an important role, a pivotal role in their development. And I just want to continue to do that. And I am so grateful that I've been put in this position where men come to me and ask me to lead them and ask me to mentor them and help them change their lives because it is what I was put on this planet to do. Where's the best place for people to connect with you? You can find me. Oh, here we go. I got to say my name again. Do not try to spell it out, y'all. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spell it out for you. It's Eric, the standard way, E-R-I-C. Bear with me. E-R-I-C. K-O-E-N-R-E-I-C-H. Thank you. Pop it up on the screen there because nobody's going to remember that. So that's my name, my legal name, government name, Eric Kenry. You can find me on Instagram at Eric Kenry, threads at Eric Kenry. I'm not calling it X, Twitter at Eric Kenry. And uh, uh, Facebook, Facebook too. So that I, 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 there was a reason I switched from Tired Dad Fitness Club to this. I just felt like it was more important that I was the guy, I was the brand, and uh, I don't want to be the guy behind the brand. So yeah, Eric Kenry is the men's fitness and mindset coach, among many other things, as we've talked about. And of course, we'll have all those links, guys, in the show notes, in the description, whatever platform you're enjoying the show on, whether you're on YouTube or on an audio platform. Now, I know the most important question in the show that everybody's waiting for is, what is the most useful buy in a game of D&D? You guess D four. The actual answer is a D twenty. See, I thought I thought that was I thought it was a trick question. I was like, I'll pick the highest one. No, I'll pick the lowest one. <laughs> um, if you've never got, if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, there, there, these are all different die that are applicable in the game of D and D, and I'm sure they have uses somewhere else. But uh, 
if you've never played, you've probably never seen these die. They are interesting, to say the least. But I know you're all worried about that, right? That's the important. No, is is not. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I'm worried. I I'm I feel less than today because I really thought I was going to get a, a layup. I thought I was going to get some some Star Wars. Maybe that's not. You know, Star Wars <laughs> is one of my favorites. I love Aliens, Aliens and Predators. I got a huge leg piece of of those guys. Uh, my tattoos. But yeah, I'm a sci-fi guy. I'm a sci-fi nerd. So when you hit me with the fantasy, I mean, I've seen Lord of the Rings. I love I them. But wrong direction with the nerd question. Sorry. It's okay. That's what I tell people all the time. They're like, "Oh, do you you, you watch uh you know did you watch the new Lord of the Rings uh miniseries or you know Netflix show? I'm like or whatever it was on. I go, no, I'm not that kind of nerd. They go, what can, what does that mean? I'm like, yeah, it's just it's there's different different genres of nerd i'm just not a fantasy nerd right people people just unless you are one you don't know right some people are yeah. game nerds some people are fantasy some people are sci-fi yeah I'm like, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm like an alien mech ner nerd I'm like not okay. a drag dragon wizard nerd you know oh, it's, okay. it's you know what i'm saying different kinds oh, of yeah, nerds. Yeah. i i played mech warrior for a while so <laughs> i big robots that. are cool man it's timeless exactly exactly pacific rim one of the greatest movies ever <sighs> why Giant monsters, giant robots fighting. You know. Once again, another great part of parenting is you get to watch a lot of amazing movies, and it feels like you're watching them for the first time because you have to watch them with your kids. And so, I'm uh, I'm also a, a big horror movie buff, so I eagerly anticipate traumatizing my son with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the OG. <laughs> now, Eric, I want you to take us out if. People listening to this hear only one thing today. What do you want them to take away from the show? This is my message to men of advanced age. You do not have to accept mediocrity. You did not peak in high school. And your best years sure as hell are not behind you. Guys, with Eric, Kenroy, and myself, thanks for joining us on the show today. Be better tomorrow because of what you do today. And we'll see you on the next one. This has been the Fallible Man Podcast, your home for everything man, husband, and father. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a show. Head over to www.thefallibleman.com for more content and get your own Fallible Man gear.